This is the Talk Editions Podcast, episode 27 with Eric Wubbles. I'm Charlotte Mundy, vocalist of Talk, and today we are bringing you a special one-off episode to celebrate a concert we have coming up this Saturday in New York. So if you're listening on the day that this podcast comes out, that's tomorrow night, we're giving the first public performance of Interbeing by Eric Wubbles. Eric does a great job of describing the piece himself, so I won't tell you anything about the music just yet. you got to listen to the rest of the podcast for that. But I will let you know that the concert is tomorrow night at 8 p.m. at the Domena Center. Tickets are pay what you can, and we suggest you register ahead of time at our website, talkensemble.com, because the tickets are pretty limited. So Eric Wubbles is a composer and performer. He has been pianist and co-director of the Wedding Ensemble since 2004. His music has been presented by the L.A. Phil Green Umbrella Series, Huddersfield Festival, Issue Project Room, Roulette, Bowerbird, Chicago Symphony, Music Now, New York Philharmonic Contact, Contemples in Prague, Remusik in St. Petersburg, Russia, and the Zurich Tage für Neue Musik, among others. And as a performer, he has given U.S. and world premieres of works by major figures such as Peter Ablinger, Richard Barrett, Beat Fuhrer, George Lewis, and Matthias Spallinger, as well as vital young artists such as Rick Burkhart, Aaron Gee, Bryn Harrison, Clara Yanata, Darius Jones, Kat Lamb, Ingrid Laubrock, Charmaine Lee, Alex Minchek, Sam Pluta, Katarina Rosenberg, Kate Soper, and Anna Weber. He recently released the excellent album Field of Action, Contraposition with Charmaine Lee and Weston Olensky. So here is a post-rehearsal, post-pineapple cake conversation between me, Laura Cox, flutist of talk, and Eric Wubbles. Please enjoy. Eric, welcome. Thanks. Welcome to the Talk Editions podcast. Yeah. Thanks for talking with us. Of course, my pleasure. Um, so, okay, let's just dive right in. Would you please describe what's going to happen on Saturday night? May 21st, 8 p.m. in Domena. At the Domena Center. Sure. Um, so this will be the first kind of public presentation of a project called Interbeing that we've been working on more in, I would say, like in earnest for the last year or so, but uh, the first workshop goes back to 2017. Uh, so what we'll be doing is sort of putting together a first version or instantiation of what is basically a kind of like open network or uh, sort of world of pieces that uh, can take various shapes. So there are uh, quintets that are written as just like concert pieces could be excerpted on their stand on their own. There are sections that are sort of about moving through the space there are sections that are kind of um, musical and visual images that sort of involve um, the players' bodies in um, kind of particular ways and arrangements. Uh, there are parts of the piece that are about text and about sort of like language and communication in, in that way, and then parts of the piece that uh, really focus on the dynamics of relating, so between um, audience and performer, performer and composer, composer and audience. So each time we put together a version of this piece, in my mind, what we'll do is sort of 
take from those five columns and make an arrangement. And so on Saturday, we'll do the first kind of arrangement based on that. And um, my recent thinking about, you know, what is this piece? What is, um, I've done pieces that are sort of modular in the past or that have like folio-like kind of qualities to it. Um, but for me, this piece is less about the open formness as like an expressive element. And I think it's, I've started to think of it more like it's like a restaurant. <laughs> okay, <laughs> like, tell us more. Less than like, uh, you know, a dish or, or something like that. It's like, uh, what are we, um, what are we offering to people when they come into this space with us? Mm-hmm. And it's something that is, it has a very clear profile. It has a very specific dynamic, but uh, on any given night, it's also responsive to um, every aspect of the situation and who's there. And um, it has that sort of flexibility built into it. That's you know, also constrained by all of these kind of underlying variables and expressive things that we've like leavened into it over all these years. So I, yeah, I'm playing with that idea. I don't know if it's the, the number one metaphor, but I'm I really like it. In a, in I really like that a lot. Yes. And we were thinking in before the pandemic happened, or when we weren't sure how long it was going to last, we were thinking of having food as being actually like literally a component. Right. In fact, piece. you were going to cook for yeah, folks. Yeah, I was going to cook yeah. for everyone. And, um, there's part of the piece where you know we have a, a video of Ellery and Madison making tea, and we. That could also happen live. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I really wanted to um, to get into that space with it, and I hope that we we do get to do that at some point. Yeah, yeah, me too. Good. And there's also a trio playing before interbeing. Well, the just for listeners, the trio is going to be amazing. And even if everything Eric said to you sounded like something you really hate, which doesn't make sense to me, you should still come for the trio because it's going to be awesome. It's going to be Anna Weber, Anais Maviel, and Do Yun Kim. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, looking forward to that. So have you ever been in a situation like this before where you were sort of premiering a version of a work or part of a work, but not something that was maybe not a complete work? Like, does this feel familiar to you or kind of strange? For me, it makes sense. Uh, I've had experiences with performers in the past where I think it's maybe less comfortable or a little frustrating sometimes for um, for other people who are very used to like, you know, my job as an interpreter is to execute this thing. The concreteness of it is not a, a bug, it's a feature, you know, like they, mm-hmm. that's what you're supposed to, to do. I certainly understand that. I think I've just um, gotten to a place where something about the, the modular thing feels like a just natural response to like all the instability that we're mm-hmm. both feeling and then it's just a structural thing that we're like you know dealing with as yeah. musicians too of like we just have to be flexible we have to find ways of adapting whatever we're doing to a constantly shifting set of circumstances and in my mind it makes sense to extend that to like the work concept mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. uh, have that be something that you know that that comes and goes in art history and I bet I haven't looked at it closely, but I'm sure there's you know those sorts of things can correlate at various times of like, you know what what sort of shape is the society and like are we in a really stable sort of moment and how does that yeah. influence things mm-hmm. and, and for me I, I think it does uh, as I think about it more not just instability but just like um, all kinds of fluidity and uh, all kinds of ways in which the the field that we're in is kind of in flux and is changing and is like opening itself up to all kinds of different audiences, listeners, like mm-hmm. um, all of that stuff. So it, I think for me, that it feels like that's um, something that we're all taking in in, in various ways. And um, it, for me, has ended up just like manifesting in that particular way in a lot of 
a lot of pieces. That just reminded me of a, a chapter of a book I was reading recently called The End of Early Music. That book is by Bruce Haynes, by the way. His point is that in the classical period, we have this idea of the masterpiece as being something that is finished and absolute and um, perfect. Mm-hmm. And people who have classical training tend to think of all music has to be either a masterpiece or it's like not worth doing. Mm-hmm. And that this guy actually used um, the analogy in the chapter of being at a restaurant. And when you go out and eat, you don't think, most people don't think, was that meal a masterpiece? Mm-hmm. They just think, like, did I enjoy it? Uh-huh. They can, people can compare what they ate, talk about what they liked and didn't like. And they're not judging it from this place of needing to be perfect. So mm-hmm. I wonder if something about the way society is moving is we're moving away from this need for, like, concrete like finality. I really hope so. It seems so much more generative. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it seems more fun to me. Yeah, absolutely. I noticed on your website that you have a page about your piece being in time from Mivos, mm-hmm. which you wrote between 2013 and 2017, and you list a bibliography of 22 text sources and a handful of musical influences and... Uh, you give it credit to the epic Eric Andre show, season two finale. So yes. I was just wondering if, if you were going to make a bibliography for our piece, Interbeing, do you have a few things that might be on there you could share with us? Yeah, uh, for sure. When I like really was in the first kind of deep work on the piece, which I guess was probably, uh, I was at McDowell Colony in late February, early March of 2020. Uh, and I was there with you know, a lot of visual artists, as is often the case. And um, I was really interested in you know, looking into the like, uh, kind of audience side of, of this project uh, by making or doing a little bit of research or reading in um, what visual art seems to have like, cracked this open like, long ago and be you know, way far along in terms of how it's theorized and like, uh, worked on. Like, music is always kind of lagging behind the visual arts in terms of like, those sorts of aesthetic things um, mm-hmm. for better and for worse. Mm-hmm. So I, I asked a lot of the people that I was there with for just like, you know, reading suggestions or ideas about looking into um, things from like relational aesthetics, social mm-hmm. practice art, um, that whole uh, zone. And uh, I was interested that a lot of them were just sort of like, you don't wanna, you don't wanna do that. Do that. <laughs> 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 like, no, don't do it. And I was like, no, I mean, I'm, you know, it's not that I'm going to do that thing, but I, I'm interested in how like people have thought about it, like talked about it. Um, so yeah, I just I did some initial kind of basic reading and some of the like classic um, stuff from there, which um, we can like make a little bibliography and throw yeah, in the, put in the, the show notes. Yeah, yeah, that'd be um, fun. I'll make a little list, but yeah, there, there was a bunch of things in, in that direction. Definitely one of the influential uh, ideas uh, in terms of how we're going to stage the piece on Saturday, and just like trying to make it like a house concert mm-hmm. or sort of like more of a domestic environment than a kind of like concert space, which is you know the lineages from like a church space that's like right. the history of western music is like a concert hall is just an aristotle's church comes from uh recreate um Terawani, if i'm pronouncing that correctly um visual artist from thailand who i think teaches at columbia now but was like a kind of early social practice artist and has famous pieces where he just recreated his living room in a gallery and had people come and hang out with him and he cooked pad thai for everyone so that, that sort of thing so definitely making reference to um to those ideas in addition to that, uh, I think 
for the last few years, I've been really interested in um, plants and agriculture and growing and all those kinds of things. And I think a lot of that has been really influential to how I've thought about the piece too. Um, thinking about like regenerative agricultural practices, um, thinking about um, traditional growing systems in like pre-Columbian Central America, like milpa and these kinds of things. Like um, all that stuff is definitely fitting into how I'm thinking about this piece. In addition to, I guess the where I got the title is from uh, Thich Nhat Hanh. Hmm. Um, and so he has a book called How to Love, mm-hmm. <laughs> which Aww. I like a lot and have um, definitely that's that's on the list too. Hmm. Yeah. Cool. For those who don't know, Eric, could you describe something about your growing and agricultural practice, hands-on <laughs> style? I feel like this uh, is an important uh, offshoot here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the things that um, specifically has been part of our experience of working on the piece is um, we had a workshop up at my house in Western Massachusetts last summer with everyone, and everyone came up for a few days and lived with uh, me and Anna, my wife, and got to sort of experience this you know space that was new to us you know after living in new york for so long we have a backyard like we can do something with this we can grow food we can like make delicious things from this so yeah i've just gotten you know during the pandemic everyone got into what like sourdough and running marathons and growing (laughs) vegetables since it's not nothing unique about it but um i've just been like kind of obsessed with it like so fascinated by foraging and just getting to know like since i've just taken like little baby steps in that direction all of a sudden like the natural world becomes so much more legible I'm just like i know what that is i know what that is i know what that is this comes this time of year it's like you know laura your relationship with birds like how that sort of becomes part of the texture of everyday life and seasonality and all of that and um something really like yeah uh, special and meaningful like i i'm you know now having that that relationship with plants basically and right. uh, and with food and yeah, more and more just feeling feeling very connected with that, feeling like that is something that is both, like, I'm just trying to find a way of having it be, like, part of what I do uh, mm-hmm. as an artist, even if it's only, like, you know, I love cooking for people. And, yeah. um, so having, uh, when we can rehearse at my house, then that's, that becomes part of the rehearsal project as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but, you know, uh, one of the things that I really think back to with this project is our first meeting, I guess it was at Marina's parents' place in, in Midtown in you know, 2017, and it was like right after the first major crisis of our lifetimes. So. I.e. the election of Donald Trump. <laughs> not not in, but in, in recent years, it was just like, from after which it was like, it doesn't feel right to keep doing things the same way that we have been doing them in the past. Yeah, so what right. would it mean to, to try to do them differently? Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, it's been one thing after another like that for the last few years. But that's still one of my one of the things that I always want to talk about with like anyone who will listen, <laughs> like, just like, what, what do you think we should, like, what can we concretely do? How can we address this? How can we address any of this stuff? It just feels like just like knife at your throat level urgent to like, try to think through some of these things and, and solve them. It just seems impossible that we would just keep moving ahead in the, in the same way and expect that we can count on that to continue for, right. you know, the foreseeable future. And yet, you know, there's um, more than I can at any other time, I think. Like, so many talented people, so much energy. Like, everything is moving in the right direction in, I feel like, in the artistic community that, that I see uh, in New York. While everything in the, you know, the country and the planet sort of slides in chaotic and unpredictable directions. And it feels really important to me to just 
as much as possible, like share ideas, mm-hmm. like have just like a big open working group among everyone <laughs> of yeah. like, let's, let's try to come up with ideas about how to um, just respond to these things, do things in a different way, do things in a, in a better way or a way that's better now. Um, like what can we be doing? Yeah. And just try a bunch of things out and throw a bunch of things against the wall and not everything will work. And you know, you talked about the masterpiece thing. Like uh, I spent many years writing super precious, you know, like trying to make basically that, just like I wanted it to be perfect. Now I, you know, it's not that I don't, it's that I just don't see a way in which we can create any space for ourselves that's insulated from all of this other stuff mm-hmm. such that we could just sit around and appreciate the perfection of an aesthetic object and feel that it was like <laughs> that we were safe <laughs> to do that and that we didn't have to like put out all the fires and the you know deal with the everyone's suffering um, as it's happening so much more interested for me like at this particular moment of like let's try everything mm-hmm. and hopefully through that like just the whole sphere of working broadens we discover new possibilities we expand just the network um, through which we can help each other and support each other. Uh, we expand through adopting new ways of working ourselves, who we can work with, because we have shared language with larger groups of people. So if we learn to develop the capacity to improvise better, then we can connect with improvisers in a different way and um, lots of different ways of, of doing that. Um, that kind of work, to me, I think, is... Uh, this piece has become a, um, a field of... Um, trying out a bunch of things in, in those directions. Super interesting. Yeah. And hopeful. And it makes me really, like, I feel I feel a lot of things hearing you say that, but at the very end, one of the biggest things I feel is, like, an immense amount of gratitude that you feel comfortable, like, experimenting in these realms and involving us mm-hmm. in that, you know? Yeah. Like, I feel really grateful that you're like, I can do that in this space. It makes me really stoked. I think it, it comes from uh, what I feel from all of you. In a lot of ways, yeah. A whole lot of love. <laughs> so you're a member of Wet Ink, mm-hmm. which is a composer, performer, improviser sort of collective that's been active in New York for like 20 years now, yeah. which is wild. Wow, yeah, incredible. And a couple of years ago, Wet Ink started sort of like an mag- online magazine sort of mm-hmm. project, right? Yeah. Is that, would you say that also is another way of trying to do things differently and sharing thoughts and stuff. Of course, yeah. yeah. Um, I feel like there's kind of an odd lack of like formalized discourse for a, yeah. a field that's on some level really about like talking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, thinking about music. And, and writing, you know, it, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, relative to other kinds of music, it's a super academic discipline, but um, there's a weird dearth of like people writing about it, especially artists. Right, and learning about what they do. Mm-hmm. You know, and again, visual artists, like, that could be the primary aspect of your practice. And I'm glad it's, it's not for us, but, like, I think it, it is really interesting to me always to hear people talking about what they're doing, uh, and especially anyone who wants to opt in to, like, you know, writing something one step above that, that, you know, just trying to, like, do a little bit of theorizing or, like, looking yeah. around at other people's work and making connections between things. All that stuff feels really, <clears throat> really interesting to me. And yeah, I think that that was a pandemic, like, an early pandemic mm-hmm. um, project of just, like, what can we do when we can't do concerts? Mm-hmm. That would also probably still be interesting yeah. after that and wouldn't just be like, oh, remember that sad thing we had to do or like when we couldn't be on Maybe that would also still be valuable. So, Wet Ink, as Charlotte said, you are one of the co-directors of, That's correct, right? Yeah. Is that correct? <laughs> and since tax, tax formation, we've always admired Wet Ink, you know, of course, many like deep friends, deep mentors yeah. in the group. 
And as a group that's been around for 20 years, you know, slightly different iterations and stuff, what are some of the other groups or practices in general that you guys were really admiring when when you were founding or, or you know, as that has continued? Yeah, I guess if we were looking to older generations, maybe the, like, four runners at that point were, like, a little more complicated just because it, it's, you know, from an earlier era. Yeah, a different time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but... Um, I would say like two two primary ones would be the New York School composers and the sort of circle of visual artists around that. But also like just the culture of hanging out, talking shit like at a bar. Mm-hmm. That that is a really actually crucial function of developing music and an aesthetic. Just like <laughs> arguing, like getting yeah. into it, like all the time. I mean, we were we were really lucky. I think it just a lot of things came together in the, the early phase of that and that we were all in grad school at the same time. We were at Columbia, which is a super privileged like place to be for grad school. You get a stipend, you can like back then it was like seventeen thousand dollars, but it, you know, you could survive in New York mm-hmm. on that without having to like, you know, really um, take a second job all the time, but maybe just in the summer. So basically we had all this like leisure time, which meant that we could hang out, we could go out after like composition seminar on Wednesday night and just like get wasted and like just get argue. Uh, like about whatever had happened and it was just I think a really important um, time for you know it was like me and Alex and Kate and Sam that's Alex Minchek, Kate Soper and Sam Pluda um, and then a bunch of other folks who were at Columbia at the time but I mean we were, we were like really rolling deep at that point <laughs> like, I can't drink like that anymore but it was, it was really an important um, thing because I, I think together in that sort of like dialogue you just say, no, actually, that, that sucked, and here's why. And you, you just start to articulate, mm-hmm. like, just your aesthetic preferences, and you test them against each other, and all those. It's not not that we didn't have our individual preferences, but it was really, like, a, a kind of, like, combat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it, just a way of, like, everyone getting, um, like, sharpening their opinions. Like, mm-hmm. so everything, like, clarified. Mm-hmm. Everything, like, essentialized for a moment. And I think, like, with the, the history of that group, it's the trajectory has been, like, we started off as kind of like weird individuals. We came together through the course of those few years and like developed this kind of like joint aesthetic from like taking various aspects of what each of us kind of contributed to that. And then there was this sort of moment of like stable, like high quote unquote wet ink. <laughs> I think it was around the time of that, that record relay. Like that, uh-huh. that was sort yeah. of like, okay, that, that was what that manifested yeah. in. And then we all like, when we weren't hanging out as much anymore, we went off in different places, we then started to re-individuate a little bit more. So, like, the stuff, if, if like, I gave up some of my individuality to, like, take on the aspects of this thing that I found cool, then later on I was like, oh, actually, no, I missed that. I'm going to get some of that back. I'm going to be a little bit less cool and a little more weird again. (laughs) Like, and, you know, for each of us that had a different... Like, I think Kate got, like, a little tough for a moment and then she decided, like, actually, that wasn't really me. I'm going to, you know, I want to write, like... um, different things most of the time yeah Yeah, so that that was cool um so that that aspect of like new york school and kind of like classic new york arts culture um later on i think especially once george lewis arrived at columbia just published his book about the aacm we all read that like oh my god this is incredible like what a what a model for like a kind of like collective organization and something that has like um is interested in also education and helping um younger people and other uh, people in the community um just a like one of the things that I think we really took from that, you know, before like any of us had any kind of real success or attention, was uh, a kind of just like really ferocious 
pride and self-confidence in what you're doing. Like just all this stuff, the other stuff just doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Just wait it out. Like if you if you believe in what you're doing, you have other people around you who can like, you know, you're not you're not crazy. It's not just you, but like you you have this this micro community that's like, yes, we believe in this thing. Mm-hmm. Like you can really insist on being treated with respect and <laughs> not feel like you have to change what you're doing to um, accommodate. What if there are structures within your your community and world that you don't believe in? Like you yeah. don't have to bend to those. Mm-hmm. Crucial. And maybe having a practice like a musical practice helps you not not bend to those like if you have another thing that you're clinging to with other people maybe that's part of the value of it for sure yeah Yeah, absolutely Mm -hmm. Uh, artistic practice aside from just the inherent value obviously (laughs) 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 so eric you moved from new york city to greenfield massachusetts recently in 2020 right how would you say that changing locations has changed your musical practice and awareness a good question um I think in terms of practice, it's just made it so much easier to do just things that, uh, the way that I would like to do them. Um, I think I spent a lot of years going to artist residencies, uh, especially when I lived in New York, because it was like, I, I would love to have just a piano that I can use all the time. And you know, it was, it was always a, a challenge for me to get access to a piano in New York. So I would sort of seek out that, that environment, which was like hyper-focus, you have enough space, uh, quiet, uh, have an instrument like just have the, this like everything that you need to to create mm-hmm. basically and I think uh, the more I did that the more I was like but I kind of just want that all the time <laughs> is there a way that I could have it all the time and not have it be rude um, and I I think um, you know making this move which was you know predicated on the fact that we were able to find like a very very cheap um, situation uh, all of a sudden meant that could sort of have that and have the money to buy a kind of cheap used instrument and just like get into practicing in a way that I haven't been able to do in my adult life prior to that like leave things set up if I was doing a pre- prepared piano piece I could just prepare the instrument and then leave it wouldn't have to like take it out after Game two changer. hours yeah, you know, just stuff like that which is you know like the concept of an artist and their studio is like I think something that for um you know, all of us that are like forged in the fire of New York, I would never trade that for anything else because, you know, if you go to Europe and you see people that are state funded and the situations they have, it's like, yes, that would be great, but I'm so glad that we learned how to do it in this like the most inefficient, the most difficult, like <laughs> like we, we've had to figure out how to make it happen at the highest level under the worst circumstances. Yeah. And that's great training. And that's, you know, um, if you have to go the other way and like, you're used to that other thing and then you have to go to New York and try to do it. It's incredibly hard. But a little bit of that sort of luxury, especially like at the age that I'm at and maybe it coincided with the pandemic. So it was like just a a great way to, um, you know, find some meaning and like keep yourself busy during a time when there was not a lot going on. Just being able to like practice a lot, uh, write a lot, um, work on solo piano music and develop a, a practice as an improviser like think of myself more as a performer again all of that stuff has been really valuable I think I've also just um, gotten to an age where my like writing practice has really solidified or stabilized mm-hmm. um, it's just it's what I do most every day when I'm at home I have like a very set routine like kind of writer's routine that works for me really well it's, it's been optimized over like basically <laughs> 20 years now 
Um, it's like, you know, I used to, I've like been to the hospital twice for like stress from writing. Like yeah. it's, it's a hard thing for me. So like getting that all dialed in and worked out yeah. so that it's like, this works. Yeah. Um, this is not something that's like going to make me sick. Yes. Like I'm, I'm not going to get like, you know, terrible like back problems from like, you know, all that. <clears throat> it's yeah. like being a craftsperson, like for any yeah. journalist, it's the same, you know, like you have to have all your stuff set up in such a way that when you do it over and over again, you don't get like your body Injured, holds up, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. for sure. Um, so, like, I've, the like bodily and athletic side of like arts practice has become something that's more and more on my mind, and um, this is, I think, just a way of being healthy. Yeah. While yeah. doing all that, and just trying to be really productive, you know, like, who knows how long we get to do these things for? You know, just based on whatever, and um, just want to make the most of it. Thinking back to this Saturday's performance, interviewing Saturday, May 21st, 8 p.m., Jimena Center, upstairs, pay what you can, tackensemble.com backslash interviewing. (laughs) What were you saying, Charlotte? Yeah, so what are you most nervous about? Oh, most nervous about? (laughs) I'm kind of nervous about everything, but that's that delightful Right. (laughs) (laughs) I think, you know, the conversation that I was, or the rant or tirade or whatever (laughs) that I went on earlier. Um, I guess I I can be very earnest. (laughs) (laughs) Or just like, you know, want... I I love that about you. Yeah. just want to, like, I just want to talk about, like, the fundamental stuff all the time or just to... um, Yeah, I want to go straight straight at it. And so often how that can show up in in music or in um, a piece is either through something very simple or through something that's really like balancing in a really precarious way on the edge of like trite, hokey, platitude, level simple. And then the other side of that is like, it feels true. Mm-hmm. That is something that, yeah, it always feels you know vulnerable to sort of put your version of that yeah. out in the world and to you know, not always be sure about, <laughs> not sure about it or anything. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm nervous about um, that again, the enthusiasm I just expressed for, like, trying everything and broadening things out will come across as, like, dabbling or, like, dilettantism or, um, you know, there's so many people who are so good at all of these things that I feel like, oh, but it'd be cool if we, it'd be exciting if we, like, figured out a way to do this. So, yeah, it's it's always, um, you know, the, all that stuff is super challenging just to, like, um, bring everything up to the level um, while also trying to, to do a lot of different things. But um, again, I, I've, I feel like recently um, tried to let myself off the hook a little bit um, on the level of how critical I used to be of just like every second of <laughs> every piece. Um, to, feeling. <laughs> to the broader service of what might be really important or meaningful yeah. for someone or for us or for players, audience, composer, whatever, would just be to, like, um, what if we found something new? What if we, like, hit on uh, something that that feels like it says something uh, that feels true and important and helpful (laughs) to to us in this moment, which might not have anything to do with how things uh, musically have been before, because um, I don't know that any of us could have foreseen the world that we're living in, you know, 10 years ago. Maybe mm-hmm. in some ways, maybe not in others. Yeah. But there's hope. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay, and so the flip side of that question is like, what are you most looking forward to? I'm looking forward to the kind of like almost outside of time, just like image level aspect of it, of just like how, how things are going to look, how little like slices of sound are going to be just like this really like um, kind of vivid um, feel. Just when I imagine, you know, one of the pieces where you know, you're all around a table and how the audience will be around that, like that's, that feels like a very new feeling in a concert hall that I haven't mm-hmm. had before. And I'm, I'm really uh, excited to, to experience that and um, yeah, just to, to hear people's responses, to, to watch people's responses, to yeah. like just see how it see how it feels with everyone together. Yeah, and for it for it finally to happen for the, yeah. <laughs> the first time after all these years. I'm looking forward to that stuff too. Me too. You wanna to play a game? Okay, sure. What's the game? It's, would it's you rather play. would you rather? <laughs> We're gonna give you two options. And you, you tell us which you'd rather. Okay. And why. Let's do it. And why, yes, that's true. You have to tell us mm-hmm. why. Mm-hmm. Eric Wobbles, would you rather be a tree or a small airplane? <laughs> oh, a tree. And why? <laughs> Sorry, I've, I've deeply offended Laura. I think I just want to be a tree anyway. Yeah, but it would be really cool to be a tree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they're so different. Okay, why? Yeah. I, I, I love how just imagining what that would feel like. You don't think you'd be bored? No. I feel like my sense of time would be like, like in years, it would just be like, Super expanded, feel, feel really warm all the time, mm. you know? Like, what kind of tree are you in? Mm, like and a big one. In what bioregion? <laughs> um, tie between um, maple and birch. Interesting. Yeah, northern trees. Okay, yeah. interesting. What does that suggest to you? Well, they're just so different. They are very different. It's just yeah, it's interesting that, that these would be like one of like this or this when they're so when they're so different, you know? Like you're really you're really parsing between two very different experiences. Yeah, it's cool. My options are and I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. Would you rather have a pet elephant or a pet penguin? I think elephants are pretty awesome. I might have to go elephant. Yeah. But it's you know, I just wanna bring us back to the conversation about how difficult it can be to find a piano in New York City and remind you that you're gonna have a pet elephant. <laughs> I believe in you. I think work. an elephant could fit in your backyard yeah, if, you, if you take it for walks occasionally. Yeah. I'm having a yeah. time to see you walking down the street with your elephant. So would you rather be kind of like uh, Cassandra, like know what's going to happen but nobody will believe you? She's got the good questions. Or would you rather have everyone looking at you like, Eric, what should we do? But you actually don't know like, at all. Charlotte, how do you come up with these beautiful questions? <laughs> Eric, tell us the answer. <laughs> That's such a fucking, <laughs> fucking demonic question. Okay. I, I guess door number one, yeah. You'd rather know? Yeah, than like... And tell everyone, like, this is going to happen, there's going to be war, and this, but no one believes you? Mm-hmm. Than being, like, in charge of things and just having no idea what to do. I wonder... I mean, I bet Cassandra tried this. She was brilliant. But, like, maybe, like, sent a note to someone else, and then someone else. It's, like, telephone style. Yeah. Do they still not believe you? Is that how the curse works? Fucking Apollo. It's yeah, rough. It's really rough. I think I would try door number two. I think it would probably be awful. <laughs> but I think it would be fun to try. <laughs> I've really got the, I got the like antithesis of your would you great, rather. Great, great, great. Would you rather go to the concert on Saturday or stay at home and be sad and not go to the concert on Saturday and wish you did? It's obvious, right? I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. 
listeners, <laughs> take note. Okay. Happy Thank birthday, you. Natasha Deals. Happy birthday, Natasha Deals. Happy birthday, Natasha. It won't be your birthday probably by the time this comes out, but it's your birthday today and we love you. Yay. Um, and thank you, Eric, so much for coming on the podcast. Yes. We love you, too. Thank you. Thanks for writing us a cool piece. Yeah, thank you for writing us a really cool piece. And thank you, listeners, for listening and hopefully listening to Eric's really cool piece. This has been the Talk Editions Podcast, Episode 27 with Eric Wubbles. If you're in New York, maybe we'll see you tomorrow night at the show. If you're somewhere else, bug your local new music presenter to bring Interbeing where you are. We want to play it for lots of people. Shout out to Evan Lindorf Ellery for giving us uh, some love on Instagram a few weeks ago and calling our recent episode with Weston Olinsky fascinating. Thank you, friend. This podcast was produced by me, Charlotte Mundy, and Marina Kifferstein, and edited by me. Thanks for listening.